Ah, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to have you here. Good to have those of you who are joining us live stream this morning as well. It's hard to believe that today we conclude our Made to Multiply series. It's like, where did those eight weeks go by? They went by very quickly. So if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 this morning. I'll be sharing a little bit more at the end of the service, but next week we start our seven-week worship series, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that as well out of the book of Job. Also, don't forget, after both the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services today, any of you who are interested in being baptized on Saturday, October the 30th, as Mike said, would you please meet with me for just a couple of minutes over here in this section right here? Uh, we have a good group already. I met with so many last week after the 9 and 11 service, and so if you want to be baptized, if your child or teen wants to be baptized, I, that's great too. I leave uh, children up to the parents as far as if you as a parent feel like your child has accepted Christ as their Savior and they understand what they are doing, then I certainly will baptize them as well. And I do uh, encourage that if you do have a child or a young teenager especially, who would like to be baptized, that at least one of the parents comes to the meeting as well. All right. We're concluding our series on Made to Multiply, all about discipleship this morning. <clears throat> and Paul really masterfully concludes his thoughts here. And let's be reminded that one of the things that brings some extra oomph if you will, into what Paul says, is these are the last words of Paul that are recorded in Scripture. He is going to die very soon. And he's very well aware of his impending death. Now, we don't know whether that is through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is preparing him that his death is near. We don't know whether it's through what he is seeing take place as far as his captors go, because he's in prison as he's writing this, and he's been in prison before, but it seems like he understands that, no, this is, this is the last time. Uh, we don't know whether it's maybe a combination of the two. But Paul makes a very interesting statement. As we've said from the very beginning of this series, Paul and Timothy embody and are an example of what discipleship is all about. It's, it's where God brings together two Christians and where they have such a connection with each other that they can mutually, mutually, not one-sided, mutually encourage, mutually strengthen, mutually comfort, mutually refresh one another, okay? Where, where they're making progress together and then through their dynamic, if you will, through their partnership, then God uses that dynamic to bless so many other Christians, okay? And we saw that and are seeing that through Paul and Timothy. That's not just God's plan for Paul and Timothy. That's God's plan for every Christian. Jesus said, 
Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. It's always been God's plan that we simply do not become believers in Jesus Christ, but that we become disciples. But as we've learned throughout this series, I cannot make disciples. We as a church cannot be engaged in making disciples if we're not disciples ourselves. We cannot pass on to others what we do not possess. So we've got to be committed to being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And then out of that, God links us together with other believers so that we can build these relationships that strengthen both of us in order to then bless so many other people in the body of Christ. So you can understand that if Paul feels that he is at the end of his life, why he makes this statement in verse 21 of 2 Timothy 4 to Timothy. He says, make every effort. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Come now to come to me before winter. In fact, you'll notice he sort of makes the very same statement in verse 9 at the beginning of the passage we're looking at today to Timothy. Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. But I want you to go back to verse 21. I'm basing everything that I want to say today upon that verse. Come before winter. Now, for Paul, that was practical. Paul understood that come wintertime, Timothy was not going to have the opportunity to physically come and visit Paul. And that Paul understood that if he didn't get there before winter, he would not get to see this very precious individual that has met and become so precious to him that he cherishes before he dies and goes to heaven. That's why he's saying, Timothy... I want to see you before I go to be with Jesus. I want you to be with me in these last days of my life on earth. And if you don't come soon and you don't come before winter, I'm not going to get to see you. You see, even in the passage we looked at last week, Paul was reminding us of things that are coming. And what Paul is trying to get all of us as disciples to see is that God wants us to live in light of what's coming, not just what is, but what is coming. So last week, Paul reminded us in 2 Timothy 4.1, Jesus is coming and his kingdom is coming. And then later on, he says, oh, and there's a falling away from the faith that's coming. And oh, by the way, for each of us, death is coming at some point. And guess what? After that, our final evaluation before Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. And now guess what? Winter is coming. Are you coming? Winter is coming. Now, for Paul, winter meant a couple things. It meant these are the final days of my life. And that winter is coming for all of us. But winter can also mean seasons, because that's what winter is. Winter is a season. It can be a season of trials and tribulations. It can be a season of pain and suffering. It can be a season of 
extra challenges and obstacles and opposition. It can mean all those things. And I want us to think about then what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage, as well as to us, based upon that. Are we prepared for winter? Because here's the deal. You and I can't prepare for winter in winter. It's too late then, you see. You and I have to prepare for those winter seasons in our life ahead of time and all the time. And that's what makes, I think, Paul's words even more powerful than normal. So I see five things in verses 9 through 18 that are sort of anchor points for us as disciples, or I would even say tent pegs, if you will. Those things that we can drive into the ground even before winter comes so that we're prepared for winter. Because guess what? Winter's coming. Not just physically winter's coming here for Phoenix and the rest of our you know, country, but winter's coming for us at some point. There's going to come, and maybe you're in winter now, you see. So hopefully this will encourage us, but also challenge us to make sure that we are prepared for winter. The first thing I want us to be reminded of is that we should never face winter alone. We should never face winter alone. I want you to think this morning about who would you want surrounding you, supporting you, helping you, and being with you during your winter season. And remembering, too, that Paul is like, who are the couple people, the couple Christians, the couple fellow disciples that I would want around me at the very end of my life? Who, do I, who right now would that be? See, Paul already has some people in mind. As I said in verse 21, he says to Timothy, make every effort to come before winter, because in verse 9 he says, make every effort to come to me soon, because I want you, Timothy, to be there during my winter season. They had a special relationship. In fact, Paul says, there is nobody I ever found on earth that was a kindred spirit to me like Timothy was. You have a kindred spirit, a fellow Christian, a fellow disciple that you would say, man, if there's anybody that I want to go through winter with, it would be that person. See, that's why our relationships with each other and, and allowing God to build those relationships and those friendships and those discipleship partnerships are so key because you want the right people there during your winter season. And here's one of the reasons why. Notice what Paul then says in verse 10. For Demas, this fellow disciple that we went through a lot together of life and ministry, he deserted me. That's strong. But you and I all know that. If we've been alive for any length of time on this earth, we've had people who deserted us, who weren't there for us when we really needed them to be, who weren't there through the thick and thin. They were maybe fair-weather friends, or they were friends up to a certain point, but then there was some reason. Now, 
for Demas, notice Paul says, it wasn't so much me and him, except it was just our different priorities and values. I kept pressing toward the mark. I just wanted more of Jesus and to glorify Jesus with my life. He fell in love with the world. And so we just drew, we just grew apart because he wanted the world and I wanted Jesus. And so it says, Demas deserted me having loved the present age and he went to Thessalonica. And Cretans went to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So then in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Luke. And I think Luke and Paul, again, had a special relationship. Luke was a physician. And many of you know that Paul had many physical ailments throughout his life. And I think God brought Luke into Paul's life, not just to be a spiritual encouragement to him, but literally to be sort of his personal traveling physician that looked after Paul. And they had a special relationship. So he wanted Timothy to come and be by his side during the winter, and he had Luke with him. And then in verse 11, he also says, and on your way, pick up Mark and bring him with you because he's a great help to me in ministry. So there's three people that Paul said, I want by my side during my winter. You, Timothy, Luke is already here, and then Mark. Those are the three people I want surrounding me in my winter season. By the way, to encourage you, isn't it great to know when you know the backstory of Paul and Mark that at one time in one season of Paul's life, Paul would not have said, I want Mark there because he's a great help to me. Remember, Mark was the one that came between Paul and Barnabas, and they sort of split because Barnabas wanted to take Mark after he sort of uh, deserted them, and he wanted to give Mark a second chance, and Paul said, no, what we're doing is too serious here. I, I, I don't want to take Mark, and so Paul and Barnabas split up. And Paul took Silas, and Barnabas went with Mark. But now, at the end of his life, guess what? Things have changed. That happens to us. There are some times in our life and some seasons of our life where we would choose that person, and then maybe 20, 15, maybe even less, we would choose somebody different because maybe, like Demas, maybe they're no longer by our side or we can count on them or we can rely on them. So the question is, first of all, the anchor point is none of us should ever go through winter alone. There should always be those fellow disciples especially that we can call on and know that we can rely and depend upon their friendship, their partnership, and, and that we're stuck together like glue. Who is that for you? And for me, who would that be? And maybe it will change as it did for Paul throughout his life, but who are those people? That's all based on discipleship, which is why it goes back to the very essence of this series, Made to Multiply. How could, how could Paul have a Timothy and Luke and Mark in his life? Because they lived together as disciples of Jesus Christ and they formed these bonds through their love for Jesus and living together and doing ministry together that forged these strong, you know, bonds and connections with each other that lasted for many times a lifetime? A lifetime. Who's your Timothy, Luke, and Mark? Who do you want to do winter with? 
Then secondly, you'll notice at the very end of verse 12, Paul mentions ministry. Notice this is another anchor point, if you will, or tent peg that prepares us for winter, and that is that we should all continually be doing service and ministry. And isn't it interesting that this goes along with our Made to Minister series? You could say that Timothy, Luke, and Mark expressed the Made to Multiply series, and now the word ministry reminds us of the series we just did before this one, Made to Minister, that God not only saved us to know him, but saved us to serve and minister, and that we should always be serving in ministry, not just in the summer seasons of our life, but even during the winter season. Because service and ministry isn't something that we do as much as it is it's who we are, you see. So many Christians reduce service to, like, describing acts of service, like, I'm a servant of the Lord because I do such and such. And I'm not saying that's wrong, that, that's part of it, but really God wants to get all of us to the point where we get up every day and basically make ourselves available 24-7 to just be a servant. God, here I am. Whatever you need of me, whatever you want of me, God, I'm here. It, it's your heart that's there to be a servant. I've used this illustration with you in the past. You know, Jesus used the towel and wrapped the towel around his waist and stooped and washed his disciples' feet. But there's also another symbol that comes from history that was emphasizing a heart of a servant, and that is the apron. You know, a very famous coffee shop that uses aprons, right? The, the apron was used as, as, a, as a garment to say, I'm, I'm here to serve you. And it was one of those deals like you put it on in the morning and you don't take it off till night and you're just, you're just a servant because that's who we are to be as disciples, not what we do. The heart of a servant, the heart of ministry, which means that I'm willing to serve and minister in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, and in the winter. And why is it important to be willing to even minister and serve in my winter seasons where it might be hard? Because many times during the winter seasons of our life when we're going through our own pain and suffering and trial and tribulation and challenges and all of that, we can start to turn inward and our focus can become inward rather than outward. And when we continue to serve, our eyes get off of us and get on to others. We stop becoming so self-absorbed and, 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 and can be reduced to just having our own little pity parties where we just sort of sit, soak, and sour during our winter seasons rather than realizing that there's always needs to be met and people to be ministered to and service for the Lord to be done. And I've got to develop that, that sort of uh, mentality that I'm going to serve the Lord in all the seasons of, the, of my life. And Paul was the same way. Here's a guy who's in prison. Here's a guy who's near death, and yet he's continuing to minister all the way up until the time he goes home to be with the Lord. I mean, you even see this in the passage. He's directing traffic, if you will. He's telling people, here's what I need you to do, and here's what I need you to do. In fact, notice in verse 12, he says, now I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He's still ministering. 
He, he says in verse 15 to Timothy, Timothy, be on guard against this guy, Alexander, who caused me a lot of trouble. So he's warning Timothy. He, he's going down through here, and he's, he's basically still ministering even from his prison cell. So often as Christians, we allow our circumstances to dictate our ministry. Disciples never do that. Even if we're sick, even if we're in prison or whatever, we can still be doing ministry. In fact, I tell Christians, you can be at a point where maybe the only thing you can do is pray. But guess what? Prayer is powerful. And if you're a prayer warrior and you're praying, oh my goodness, that can change you and change the hearts of so many others. Don't ever just say, well, all I can do is pray. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so Paul here is not only saying, don't go through winter alone. Who are those fellow Christians, fellow disciples? And let me say this, back to that point. It is important, the quality of the people that we surround ourselves with, especially in winter, because not all friends, if you will, or even fellow Christians are the same. We're getting ready to go into the book of Job next week, right? And if you know the story of Job, you know that when Job's friends arrive, they actually make things worse for Job than not. So you can't just say, well, anybody will do. No, that's not true. Sometimes there are certain people that would come into your life at certain seasons and actually make things worse for you than better. They will actually make things more burdensome than lifting the burden and being a refreshment. So Paul makes sure that he is choosing the people that he knows he wants by his side and who will actually make things better, not worse. And he's continuing to minister. That's the second. The third tent peg or anchor point is the word of God. Notice in verse 13, he says, when you come, first of all, bring the cloak I left in Troas. Let me say that. Christianity is really practical. <laughs> Paul is in what was called, if any of you have ever been to Rome and you visited the Mamertine prison in Rome, it was this underground, very dark, very damp, very cold place where Paul was being held at this point. So Paul's being very practical. He's probably cold already because it was always cold in the Mamertine prison in Rome, but he understands winter's coming. It's only going to get colder in this prison before I die or they take my life. So please bring me that coat. <laughs> but then he says this, also bring with you the scrolls and especially the parchments. The scrolls were made out of papyrus, the parchments were made out of vellum or animal skin. They were a little bit higher quality. And yes, it does not say specifically that Paul is asking for portions of the word of God. But I think I know Paul pretty well, and you probably do too. Do you think Paul's really asking for Greek philosophy or, uh, you know, uh, Greek books on architecture or something as he's getting ready to go to be with Jesus in heaven at this point in his life? I don't think so. 
In fact, the word scroll is the word biblion, where we get our word for Bible from. I think Paul is asking for portions of the word of God that he already doesn't have. Because there's nothing that's going to prepare us for winter and sustain us in our winter seasons more than the word of God will. And I think Paul's saying, I want more of the word of God. Which also reminds us of the kind of mindset and outlook that a disciple of Jesus had. No matter how old he is, no matter how close to death he is, he is still teachable, he is still learning, he is still growing. There doesn't ever come a place in Paul's life where he says, I've learned enough about my God. I, I've absorbed enough of the word of God. I know, I know enough of the promises of God. No, he is continuing even up to the very end of his life to say, keep bringing me the word of God. I want to know more. I don't know all that I could know. That's a great attitude to have. And we think Paul is like the upper echelon of Christians, right? Like, man, nobody knew the Bible more than Paul. Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. And yet Paul was never displaying this pride like, yeah, I, I got it, I, I know it. No, bring me the parchments, bring me the scrolls, bring me the word of God. And this is also interesting. Think about these four that would have been in that prison with Paul or those other three. Timothy, Luke, Mark, and Paul. Mark and Luke wrote two of the four Gospels. And then if you combine Luke's book of Acts, and then if you take all the books that Paul wrote, you realize that three of those four men that would have been in that prison together wrote three quarters of the New Testament. I would have loved to have been in that prison cell of what those four were talking about. And I'm sure Timothy, the younger one of the four, was probably just like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm with three of my heroes in this prison cell, and what a precious time they probably had. So the first anchor point, what fellow disciples, because you can't go through winter alone. Ministry is another anchor point or tent peg. The Word of God is another one. And then, verse 14, 15, and 16, turning our hurts, our pain, over to God and turning to God. Being a dispenser of grace to others. Notice what he says in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. Why did a coppersmith do Paul a great deal of harm? Because Paul preached against idolatry, and guess what coppersmiths were doing? They were creating those little idols. So basically, Paul's ministry was eaten into the profits of the coppersmiths because less people were buying his idols, and he didn't like it. And so he started to attack Paul. He says, notice, though, the Lord will repay him in keeping with his deeds. It's not up to me. I'm not seeking vengeance on that man. I'm not going to take matters of the law into my own hands. I'm going to put him in the Lord's hands and let the Lord deal with him. Then he says, be on guard against him, too, which is very proper because he vehemently opposed our words. 
Then notice he says, at my first defense, no one appeared in my support. Instead, they all deserted me. May not they not be held accountable for it? You see, notice in this passage already, Paul's been disappointed. He had nobody who stood by him the first time he went to a trial. He's been deserted by Demas. He's been opposed by Alexander the coppersmith. And yet, instead of internalizing all that hurt and pain, he turns to God and he turns it over to God and he releases it to the Lord instead of carrying it with him into his winter season. He's doing exactly what all Christians back then knew very well that the Lord did himself. When hanging on the cross, they heard of Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Which is why a little few years later, when Stephen was being stoned, Stephen, very similarly to Jesus, following his Lord, says, Lord, do not hold this sin against those who are stoning me. And now Paul, at the very end of his life, says, Lord, even though nobody stood with me and I stood all alone, don't hold them accountable. Being a dispenser of grace. And here's why Paul could be a dispenser of grace. Because Paul understood he had been a great receiver of God's grace, as we all are, but many are not as aware of it as maybe Paul was. Paul understood that based upon his past, being a persecutor of the church, being one who was, who was present when Christians were murdered, and yet God came to him and was willing to save him just like anybody else and put his past behind him, and not just that, but give Paul a prominent place in his kingdom and have this great purpose for Paul for the rest of his life. Paul said, how can I whom God did, never, did not treat me as I deserved to be treated. And I am a receiver of God's grace and mercy. How can I not turn around and be one who gives grace and mercy to others when they hurt me? Because I know I hurt my Jesus. And he turns to God, and he turns them over to God. You see, for many Christians... When they come into the winter seasons of their life, it's even harder for them because they've got a lot of especially emotional baggage that they've never dealt with or unpacked in a proper biblical way like Paul did. And therefore, they're not only having to deal then with the pressure, if you will, or the dynamics of their winter season, they're also carrying around a lot of bitterness and anger and a lack of forgiveness, and all kinds of stuff that they have carried with them for many, many, maybe days, weeks, months, or years, and it's eating them up. And they've never really turned it over to the Lord. They continue to harbor all of that instead of forgiving and releasing it all. And I'm not saying letting anybody get away with anything, I'm simply saying what the Bible says. Just be a dispenser of grace and say, the Lord will deal with them. That's not up to me. He's their judge. I'm not. 
And the Lord has been gracious to me, so I'm going to turn around and be gracious to others. And I'm not going to carry all of that bitterness and anger and hurt and pain into my winter season. That's the last thing I need because that's just extra weight on me. I'm going to turn it over to the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul did. Hey, Paul knew what it was like to be deserted by his friends. Paul knew what it was like to face opposition and challenges. Paul knew what it was like to face disappointment in other people. Paul said, nobody was there with me. He understands. But he said, I'm not going to carry that around. I'm turning it over to the Lord. One other anchor point, and that is an awareness of the presence of God growing stronger and stronger. Because notice what Paul says in, in verse 17. No human being stood with me. Ah, but I love this. But the Lord stood by me. The Lord was right there with me, right there by my side, and he strengthened me. He empowered me. I was so aware of his presence in my life because I have walked as a disciple, not just as a believer. And therefore, because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ who walks near and close to my Lord every day, I could sense his presence with me, even though there were no human beings but by my side who was on my side. I knew the Lord was right there. And that through me, the message would be fully proclaimed for all Gentiles to hear. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. We don't know whether this was literally a lion in the Roman Colosseum. Was this the lion that he's describing the emperor Nero, who was the emperor at Rome during this time, who was called a lion by many people? We don't know who Paul's referring to, but Paul says, God delivered me from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. How can he have such confidence? Because the presence of God is so real to Paul. Even the invisible God is so real to Paul that he knows he's right there with me, and I can sense him. Folks, that's a... That's a huge anchor point, especially when coming into a winter season. You may feel like Paul. Nobody's with me. I'm all alone. But man, when you've got that walk with God that you know that you can... And, and let's say this. There are times where people can't be... It wasn't like Mark and Luke and maybe Timothy wouldn't have wanted to be there. But maybe they had other responsibilities and couldn't get there. That's the great thing about God is God can always be there, no matter what. And God's never going to leave us nor forsake us or desert us. He's never going to turn his back on. We never have to worry about that. He's always faithful, always dependable, always reliable, and we can always count on him standing with us in all the seasons of our life, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And so Paul says to Timothy, make every effort to come to me, Timothy, because if there's anybody that I want by my side in the last days of my life, if there's somebody I want to see and say goodbye to before I go to be with Jesus, if there's a face that I want to see before I see the face of Jesus, I want it to be your face, Timothy. I want it to be you. And know this, Timothy. One day your winter's coming, and winter seasons in your life are coming, Timothy. 
You need to be prepared for those winter seasons. You need to have those tent pegs, those anchor points in your life that, that are sunk down deep. And, and you can't prepare for winter in winter. You got to be prepared for winter ahead of time. Timothy, do you have those people in your life you can rely on like I am you? Are you still ministering and serving the Lord and making that a priority in your life? Is the Word of God something that you're abiding and remaining in? Are you releasing those hurts and pains as they come and forgiving others as God has forgiven you and not carrying those, that resentment and bitterness and anger with you? And are you aware of the presence of God in your life? Are you prepared for winter? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. This is a great song we're getting ready to sing at the end of our discipleship series because it's basically a song that says, God, I want to be a fully devoted follower. I, I want to make my life about you. I, I'm, I'm all in with you, God. And I hope that that will be the declaration of our hearts and minds today. Let me say this before I pray and we close. Two questions I wanted to leave with all of us today. The first is, are we prepared or preparing for winter? Because winter will come in our life. And winter seasons will come in our life. Second, winter is a season. Seasons pass. And in those seasons, there are certain opportunities that only are present in that season. Once that season passes into another, those opportunities are gone too. Just like with Paul and Timothy. Timothy, if you don't come before winter, I'll never see you on this side of heaven. So another question we need to ask is this. Are we seizing the opportunities that God is giving us in this season? The one we're in right now. Because once this season passes and into another season, some of those opportunities may not be present any longer. Are we prepared for winter, and are we seizing the opportunities that God is giving us in this present season? Would you stand with me, and let's pray. Father God, would you take our time of worship and our time in the Word and our time with our fellow disciples this morning, and would you solidify us, God? Would you strengthen us in you? And God, would you create within us a heart that wants you and more of you more than we want anything else, that can sing out and declare, God, I want to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to become all that you created and saved me to be in this life. I want you to use my life, God, to make a positive impact on other people's lives. I want you to connect me with fellow disciples that we can both grow strong through the seasons of life together. And that when winter comes for either one of us or both of us, God, we have each other as well as we have you, God. This is my heart's desire, Lord. This is what I want. 
Lord, help me to achieve it and accomplish it. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.